passage this morning, verses 17 to 33. Acts 17 to 33 is where we are this morning as we continue through the book of Acts. Now you might be thinking, that's a lengthy passage, more, more than normal. Well, last time we did verses 1 to 16, right? Today, verses 17 to 33. Uh, you should have seen us yesterday. I did Jeremiah chapters 21 through chapter 29. It took six hours. No, I'm just playing. <laughs> and we got through that, yeah. I think it was a little over an hour to do all that, but uh, I think it went well. Anyway, okay, Acts chapter 10, verse 17. Now, while Peter wondered within himself what this vision which he had seen meant, Behold, the men who had been sent from Cornelius had made inquiry for Simon's house and stood before the gate. And they called and asked whether Simon, whose surname was Peter, was lodging there. While Peter thought about the vision, the Spirit said to him, Behold, three men are seeking you. Arise, therefore, go down and go with them, doubting nothing, for I have sent them. And Peter went down to the men who had been sent to him from Cornelius and said, Yes, I am he whom you seek. For what reason have you come? And they said, Cornelius, a centurion, a just man, one who fears God and has a good reputation among all the nation of the Jews, was divinely instructed by a holy angel to summon you to his house and to hear words from you. Then he invited them in and lodged them. On the next day, Peter went away with them, and some brethren from Joppa accompanied him. And the following day, they entered Caesarea. Now Cornelius was waiting for them, and had called together his relatives and close friends. As Peter was coming in, Cornelius sent him, uh, uh, met him, excuse me, and fell down at his feet and worshipped him. But Peter lifted him up, saying, Stand up. I myself am also a man. As he talked with him, he went in and found many who had come together. Then he said to them, Do you know how unlawful it is for a Jewish man to keep company with or go to one of another nation? He's not asking them a question. He's stating something that he knew that he knew. But God has, has shown me that I should not call any man common or unclean. Therefore I came without objection as soon as I was sent for. I asked them, for what reason have you sent me? Or sent for me? So Cornelius said, four days ago I was fasting until this hour. At the ninth hour I prayed in my house, and behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing and said, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard, and your alms are remembered in the sight of God. Send therefore to Joppa, and call Simon here, whose surname is Peter. He is lodging in the house of Simon a tanner by the sea. When he comes, he will speak to you. So I sent to you immediately, and you have done well to come. Now therefore, we are all present before God to hear all the things commanded you by God. So Father, we pray that you would speak to our hearts today. Lord, um, even as we read those words from Cornelius, here to hear all the things commanded you by God, we're here to hear from you, Lord, through your word. Let your Holy Spirit be here to guide us into all truth. Might he be here to teach us. Might he be here to give us the understanding that we need, that we do not have apart from his enlightenment in our hearts and minds. Use him, we pray. And God, as a result of this time together, might you be honored and glorified. Thank you, Lord, for this time. Have your way in our hearts, we pray. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. You guys may be seated. Well, as you can see, as we read through these 17 verses, verses 17 to 33, basically, we are looking at things that already have happened as uh, Peter and Cornelius speak, except for what we see here in the beginning 
of, of this passage in 17 through 23, in which we see Peter instructed by the Holy Spirit. As, as we, before we get into that aspect of it, though, just by way, way of introduction, as we talked about last time together, we, we see another instance in which two different people are spoken to separately by God, by His Holy Spirit, for a purpose in joining them together to do something. You know, um, it, it's just amazing to see how the Lord will work this way, but this is exactly what He did. They heard from Him separately. God wanting to bring about a particular purpose. That purpose being, one, to save Cornelius, his friends and family, and his household from their sins. We see that that is one very precise purpose. But also to bring Gentiles into the church. To this point in time, and last week we talked about the fact that, well, you know, uh, Philip had gone to Samaria. He had given the gospel. People heard. We also see that Philip was sent by the Spirit to, to, to be joined. In fact, he uh, yes, sent by the Spirit to, to, to join the Ethiopian eunuch as he was leaving from Jerusalem, worshiping God, and, and back home to Ethiopia. So in that instance, we do see a Gentile joined to the church at that point. But now it is not just simply one individual. It is a group of Gentiles who have come together to hear from God. God wanted to bring the Gentiles into the church to bring, and to bring unity among Jew and Gentile. To this point, you know, Jews didn't mind Gentiles coming to honor their God as the true and living God. But they still saw them as second-rate citizens of the kingdom. Because, well, they were Gentiles and not Jews. But here we, want to, we, we, we see that what God intends is that there is a, a very real unity among Jew and Gentile. We talked about that last week. We cited Ephesians chapter 2. And I'll read verse 14 once again from that passage. As Paul writes, Paul writes, For he himself, Jesus, is our peace, who has made both one, both Jew and Gentile, one, and has broken down the middle wall of separation. And of course, Jesus did that through the cross, didn't he? He broke down that middle wall of separation. So as it is God's purpose to bring Jew and Gentile together, we see that that is his continued purpose today, not just simply Jew and Gentile, but all of the Gentiles who are separated by whatever means, you know, whatever, well, whatever will separate us, whether it's, you know, race, color, creed, address within the city, whatever it might be, you know, God joins us together to be one flesh, or, or, or to, to be one within the church. I said one flesh, I just went over that on, on Friday as I, I was able to uh, be involved in, in marrying uh, Brandon and Autumn, and they're they're on their they're on their honeymoon right now. So their honeymoon is two nights in Anaheim going to Disneyland for three days. <laughs> I think it's they love Disneyland. So yeah, be be praying for them. We were we were sent through time on Friday. A part of all this is as the Lord speaks to hearts separately to, to bring them together to accomplish some purpose that he has designated, uh, that he has determined in his own heart, we see in Cornelius and in his household, among his friends and, and, and relatives too, as we see that he brings them all together to hear from Peter. But we see in Cornelius in particular, God's work in preparing the heart of the one who's going to hear. He does a work in preparation of the heart. And, and you know what, guys? That, that happens a lot. God working ahead of time in the heart of a person who is seeking after God, preparing that person to hear the truth of God's word. It, it happens every Sunday. 
Now, I, I pray that, that you guys, as you came to church today, that, that you sought the Lord in terms of how you want to hear the Word of God, how you want your heart prepared. And, and God is the one who does that. It's only the work of God's Spirit that can prepare the heart and deliver the message to the heart in such a way that we have understanding. It's the work of God's Spirit. Isaiah 65, verse 24 says, It shall come to pass that before they call, I will answer. Even before we cry out to God, He's answered our prayer. How can He do that? Well, He already knows what we're going to ask before we ask it, right? But it is His desire to speak to every person's heart. Um, that, that verse is that verse finishes off with, and while they are still speaking, I will hear. So he hears the call, yet he knows what the call is going to be ahead of time. In Acts chapter 16, verse 14, when, when uh, the Apostle Paul goes to Philippi, it says this in that 14th verse, Now a certain woman named Lydia heard us. She was a seller of purple from the city of Thyatira who worshipped God. The Lord opened her heart to heed the things spoken by Paul. See, it's a work of God's Spirit to open the heart to hear and then to give heed to the word that is spoken. A little bit later in the book of Acts, chapter 18, verses 9 to 11, that the Lord spoke to Paul in the night by a vision, Do not be afraid, but speak, and do not keep silent, for I am with you, and no one will attack you to hurt you, as had happened in previous cities. For I have many people in this city. And he continued there a year and six months teaching the word of God among them. That city was the city of Corinth in, uh, there in, in Greece. And we're reminded of Luke 24, verse 45. When Jesus joined with those two disciples who were on the road to Emmaus after Jesus had been crucified. It's the first day of the week now. Sunday has happened. They're discussing what happened. Jesus joined them, and he spoke to them, and we see here that he opened their understanding that they might comprehend the Scriptures. We cannot comprehend the Scriptures without God himself opening our hearts and minds to have understanding. We cannot. We can understand the Word. And there are, there are men who have and continue to this day to stand in a pulpit like this one on a Sunday morning who are not saved from their sin, leading a church and able to put a Bible study together because of all the helps that are out there to do it. But he himself, while he might deliver the word of God, does not have the gift of teaching but the Holy Spirit will be there because he's concerned about people like you who come to a church wanting to learn. He will give you understanding. If you, being a born-again follower of Christ, want to hear. But th th these things happen all the time, sadly, but, but it's true. Cornelius was simply a seeker of God, as we shared last week. He, he would be called a, a, a God-fearer by the Jews at that particular point, but one who was not yet saved from his sins because he had not yet heard the reality that the Christ had been sent. And Peter was sent to him to bring the gospel. So again, he not only represents the Gentiles, not only representing the Lord tearing down the middle wall of separation, between Jew and Gentile, but he also represents all those who would seem least likely to find salvation. That's how he would have appeared to a Jewish believer. In fact, a little bit later, in the 11th chapter, we see that taking place in Jerusalem. You know, the, 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 the uh, apostles and, and the believers there in Jerusalem saying, you know, basically saying to Peter, What? You went into a Gentile home and preached the gospel to him? What's up with you? That kind of a thing. It's a little bit of a paraphrase, but that's kind of that's what we're going to see is going to take place. Now, in verse 17 here, 
That was just the introduction, right? Verse 17. We do see Peter having received this vision. The vision that we saw at the latter part of the previous section, verses 9 through 16, the vision of this, this huge sheet-like kind of thing held up by the corners and looking inside this sheet, all kinds of animals, clean and unclean and all. And, and he heard this voice from heaven, rise, Peter, kill and eat. And, and Peter's saying, no way, Lord, I, I've never done anything like that. I've never eaten any unclean things. No, I'm not going to do that. No, it's against the law. No. Again, a paraphrase. But we see the Lord bringing this sheet down for him to see and saying those words on three different occasions. Three different times we see it. And, 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 and in verse 16, we see that fact. This was done three times, and then the objects were taken again, taken again up into heaven. And then verse 17, while Peter wondered within himself what this vision which he had seen meant. Let's stop there for a minute. I wonder what this sounded like inside Peter's head. He was wondering what this vision meant. Lord, what on earth are you doing here? What, what, what does this mean? Bringing all these out, what, kill and eat? What, what are you talking? And he's, he's wondering about this. And as he's wondering, then the men who had been sent from Cornelius arrived at Simon the Tanner's home, of course, where uh, Simon Peter was. They called it, they called and, and asked whether Simon was there. In verse 19, we see Peter still thinking about the vision. As he's thinking, he's given some instruction by the Holy Spirit. The Spirit said to him, Behold, three men are seeking you. Arise, therefore, go down and go with them, doubting nothing. In other words, I know what you've been thinking. Don't doubt. Doubting nothing. For I have sent them. Now here we are in the 10th chapter of Acts. Back in the 2nd chapter, the Holy Spirit fell upon the, the, those 120 in that upper room. Uh, and they began to understand what it meant to hear from the Spirit of God. Peter himself on that day, the day of Pentecost, back in Acts chapter 2, he, he delivered the, the first message from a member of the church as basically the, the, the leader of the apostles, he was the one selected by God to give that very first message, and he'd given several since then. He understood what it meant. He was learning to understand what it meant to hear from the Spirit and to respond to Him. That, that, that's one of the things that is, that, that, that's crucial for us in following after God, to hear from the Spirit of God. Hearing, of course, from the Word of God, but also hearing from the Spirit. He gives him direction. Philip had heard the same thing back in the 8th chapter. Not the same words, but heard from the Spirit. And he went down so that he could be joined to this chariot driven, or, or that this Ethiopian eunuch, he wouldn't be driving it, uh, what was, what was, was riding it. In Acts 29, or excuse me, Acts 8, verses 29 to 30, the Spirit said to Philip, Go near and overtake this chariot. Verse 30, so Philip ran to him. He obeyed. In Acts 13, we're going to see as we as we continue to move forward through the book of Acts, uh, a, a group of leaders within the church in Antioch, as they ministered to the Lord, verse 2, and, and fasted, the Holy Spirit said, now separate to me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I've called them. Then, having fasted and prayed and laid hands on them, they sent them away. You know, one of the things that is interesting, it seems like we, we find that the Holy Spirit is speaking to individuals who are involved in praying and seeking after him, perhaps fasting. Seeking after God. I think this leads us to understand that if an individual is not truly seeking after God, he's not going to hear from him. But in the act of praying, these individuals, Peter, Cornelius, uh, uh, Philip, 
all hearing from God. His Holy Spirit sent to them. So when we are taking God seriously, praying to him, seeking his direction, and perhaps even fasting. A number of years ago, when I had understood that God was calling me out of Calvary Chapel, Chino Valley, to, to plant a church somewhere, I, I, I believed that God was calling me into the ministry as a pastor-teacher. Jeanette and I began on a regular basis, weekly, to take a day to fast, to fast and pray. Seeking his direction. He spoke to us. We wound up here in Upland. And we've been here now. It's been, you know, this, this January is going to be 30 years that we've been here. But, you know, it, it, the, the Lord has been very, very faithful to us. But the, the point being, all of us need to seek God. Through prayer, through fasting, he'll speak to your heart in relation to what's going on in your life and in relation to how he may want you to serve him. In addition to what we've already cited, we do see that one, one, one thing that the Lord Jesus says to the seven churches in Revelation, in chapters 2 and 3 of Revelation, the messages to the churches, in each one of them, seven times, each of the seven churches. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He who has an ear. Might you have an ear that is open to hear what God will speak to us. As I said, we, we, we are spoken to through the Word of God. Here's Paul writing to Timothy in 2 Timothy 2.16. says that the Word of God is God-breathed or it's inspired by God. And of course, the Holy Spirit teaches us, John 14, 26, John 16, 13. The Spirit will guide you into all truth. Bottom line is, as Peter heard, as he responded, Cornelius has heard, he responded, sends these men, Peter's hearing, he welcomes these men into his home. And we see there that, that he, is, that he uh, houses them there, he lodges them there, and the next day they go. But Peter's obedience opened the door for salvation to the Gentiles. Now, God knew Peter would respond. He had, he had been working in his heart to bring him to this point. But not only was salvation brought to the Gentiles, the salvation was brought to a particular man and his family and friends who needed Jesus. Now, you guys in this room Everyone here has, has friends and family who need Jesus, don't you? I like to see all the heads doing this, because it's true, you know? Um, I do too. My, my oldest grandson still has not bowed his knee to Jesus. He's, how old is he now? He's 27 years old at this point. Still a young man. I get that. And as, as I was musing about this, one of the things that, that I think is very, very true is that people who are brought up in the church, in a Christian family, taught the scriptures, and it's a habit for them to be going to church, which it was for, for Josiah, my grandson, early. In her, isn't that a great name, Josiah? King Josiah is just a wonderful, wonderful uh, uh, part of, of what we see in the Old Testament, his heart toward God. Anyway, uh, he was he was raised in the scriptures. He was going to church all the time, you know. And, and one of the things that he's learning now, and I believe God is going to be using this, is what it's like to not be a part of the church. You know, because I think that you know, you know, a couple, a married couple who go through life without Jesus, they experience certain things at the hands of the world, bringing the pain that the world brings, you know, and, and perhaps even in the case of my daughter, you know, Tracy and her husband, Greg, who are, are divorced now, you know, just, Josiah saw all that as a part of the church, 
saw something that didn't seem right, some hypocrisy, and it soured him on the truth. But at the same time, he learned the truth early in life. And now he's experiencing some of the things that, that perhaps, maybe some of the same things his mom and dad began to experience, but they began to kind of backslide and slide away from the truth while they're working the church and so forth. But, but even those who are in the most solid families, raised in the solid family, ra- raised in, in, with, with parents who persevere and endure and, and are patient and, and stick with the truth and so forth, you know, one of the things that, that happens is that those kids don't know the joy of having been saved from the pain of this world and receiving salvation. They don't understand that. And, and some of those kids need to grow up and experience some things so that they'll appreciate what they have in Christ. You know what I mean? And it's a part of what has to happen. So when your kids... If and when your kids drift away, the world's not falling apart. It really isn't. The Lord is allowing them to experience some things that they have to in order to appreciate Him. Because they've grown up with Him. They're very familiar with Him. But they don't understand those things out there that God has given us in life. Does that make sense? I think it happens often. And so, He's praying, he's being that example, but I promise you the world has not fallen apart. And I promise you, as my daughter Tracy told us, thank you. Thank you for being so faithful. Thank you for hanging in there. Thank you for not letting us down. You know, um, God uses faithful parents in that way. But you know, as we speak about this idea of truth and Drifting from the truth, you know, uh, the truth of God's word for a believer truly demands a response. God's word demands a response. A, a few passages uh, uh, to, to cite that. John 14, 14. Jesus said, if you love me, you guys know this, keep my follows that, well, if we don't keep his commandments, that is a sign that we don't love him. Right? John 14, 21. He who has my commandments and keeps them, it is he who loves me, and he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. So our response to the truth brings about a response on God's part toward us to do exactly what that verse says. I'll, I'll, uh, I will love him and manifest myself to him. Both my father and uh, my father will be uh, will love that person as well, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. John fourteen twenty three, uh, Jesus said, "If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him." Chapter fifteen, verse fourteen in John, "You are my friends if you do whatever I command you." In Matthew, in the Sermon on the Mount, toward the end of the Sermon on the Mount. Chapter 7, verse 21. Jesus said, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Not the one who just says, I'm the Lord, I'm his Lord, but the one who acts like I'm his Lord. Bottom line, right? Person can say anything. And all of us have done this, and I would say that all of us still continue to, to some degree, Certainly less now than we used to, and we're growing in this, but it's a tendency of every human being to want to cause other people to think that we are better than we really are, particularly as Christians. So we'll hide things. Maybe we'll say things, things that may be a little bit, bit misleading. We don't think it's a lie. We're not telling lies. That's not telling all the truth. You know, you know what I mean? Um, and, and, and I get that. It's our nature. We just want to put our best foot forward. You know, I, we, we don't want to reveal all the skeletons in, in, in our closet. Maybe it might be better to say, you know, I've got a skeleton, but I'm not going to tell you what they are. That's honest. 
Windows is a core GPU, as if you didn't know Windows this, that person doesn't have some himself, right? I think you guys get the point. James 2, 18 to 20. Someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without your works, and I'll show you my faith by my works. You believe that there is one God, you do well. Even the demons believe and tremble. That's such an important truth right there. To link with the conversation with an unbeliever who says he believes in God. You know, I, I get where you're coming from, but you know what the Bible says? That even the de demons believe. I'm not saying you're a demon, but you're no better than one. You're no different than one if you're, if you're not following after Christ in terms of what belief is. They know that he exists, but they don't believe in the sense of having faith that their trust is in him and following after him. That's what that word means. The demons believe and tremble. And then James goes on, but you want to know, O foolish man, that faith without works is dead. Then, of course, John writes in 1 John 2, verses 3 to 6, Now by this we know that we know him, if we keep his commandments, something we've read before, Jesus speaking, John was there hearing this. I think he got a cue from Jesus about this truth, right? He who says, I know him, and does not keep his commandments, is a liar. I love that. Gentle John. You're a liar. And the truth is not in him, but whoever keeps his word, truly the love of God is perfected in him. By this we know that we are in him. He who says he abides in him ought himself also to walk just as he walked. You see, we are new creatures in Christ, aren't we? And so we're to act accordingly. As a new creature in Jesus Christ, as Paul writes to the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians 5.17. But all these things proceed from the heart, you know this. Paul wrote to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 6, verses 9 to 11. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Don't fool yourself. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you, such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. You are no longer that thing. Whatever is in that list. And whatever you may have been that's not on this list, whatever you're known by, according, according to you following after your own flesh, you're no longer that in Christ Jesus. You are a new creation in Him. And I have to share with you, I have some issues with Christians who've had trouble drinking in the past belong to Alcoholics Anonymous. For one reason alone. Because they are programmed to say, I am an alcoholic. I've been dry for two years. Something along those lines. But that group does not allow for a Christian who already has been changed from inside. That person is no longer, that, that's not true. That person's not an alcoholic. Now that behavior might still be with them. But that person has been made new. That person has been changed. As you see there, that person has been sanctified. That person has been justified. That person has been washed in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the will of God. No longer that alcoholic. No longer that drug addict. No longer that abuser. No longer that fill up, fill, fill in the blank. Because you've been washed, justified, and sanctified. Amen? That's how we need to see that. It's the power of God that changes us. Now, as we continue on here, we are going to get through all this, by the way. Verse 23, notice this. Now, 
verse 21 and 22, we, we, we see that you know, Peter says, you know, yeah, I'm the guy you're looking for. And then they, they, they answer him when he asks, well, why did you come? Why are you here? They tell him about, about Cornelius, what his experience was, and that they had sent him. And notice there in verse 22, to hear words from you. To hear words from you. In verse 23, Peter invites them in. They stay the night. The next day they go. And notice at the end of that verse, some brethren from Joppa accompanied him. This was wisdom from God to bring a contingency. And we see later in chapter 11, verse 12, six brethren accompanied him. Six brethren accompanied him. Um, Peter... I'm not sure how much he thought this through. Perhaps he did. I mean, he had been in some trouble. The Jewish leaders wanted him never to speak in the name of Jesus again. He had been beaten for the name of Christ already. But he also knew the what was going on in his own life. He knew what God had shown him in that vision of these animals, uh, clean and unclean alike, Peter rise to an eat, and we're going to see in, in verse 28 here in this 10th chapter, God has shown me, Peter says, that I should not call any man common or unclean. It wasn't about animals. It wasn't about food. It was about men. It was about people. There's no such thing as a common or unclean person. Sinners, yes, but not common or unclean according to the way that the Jews saw them because of their own purification rites and ceremonies and so forth, and who they were as children of Abraham. No. Different. But we see this, though. We see Peter taking six brothers with him to Cornelius' home there in Caesarea. They, they provide uh, a witnesses, or being witnesses, or what took place. So Peter's not just saying, I'm telling you, this is what I saw. I wish there was somebody there with me. Well, he did bring somebody to be with him. He got these six brothers. So he takes these six brothers to, to Cornelius' home. And then in the 11th chapter, when they're in Jerusalem, and they're giving answer to uh, later on when the apostles and the believers there in Jerusalem say, what are you doing sending people uh, or going into a, 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 a non-Jewish Jewish person's house, uh, a, a Gentile, are you kidding me? He's got these six brothers with him to confirm what God did in that home to Cornelius and those who were with him. So just a very, very wise thing. And, and it's something that is wise for us to do. Make sure that we have someone with us to, to provide an account in a situation that may need that. Seek the Lord. Lord, is this something that I need somebody to, to, to have with me to be a witness to this? Maybe some kind of a problem with another person, you know, or something, or, or something going on. You, you have a, a, a witness to, to witness the discussion that takes place. If that person can't say, no, you didn't say that. Right? Did you hear Rudy? The other person say, oh, yeah, he did say that. You know what I mean? That, that, that's, that's just something that becomes a wise thing. Now, verses 24 to 33. Here we see Peter and these six men, along with the three sent by uh, Cornelius, arriving in Caesarea and at the home of Cornelius. We see there in verse 24, Cornelius was waiting for them and had called together his relatives and his close friends. One of the things we see in all this is, is Peter being obedient and going even as he understood that God was telling him, don't call any man unclean or common. But we also see his heart for other people. And if the Lord is speaking to him about not calling others unclean or common, perhaps he's getting in his mind already that he's going for the purpose to share what he knows about Jesus Christ and who he is. And what he's done. 
It's not said specifically that that's the case, but you've got to believe that he's going in that direction. He's got a heart for, for people to, to, to be saved. He, even Jesus said in John chapter 10, verse 16, that chapter where he speaks of himself as the good shepherd. He says, other sheep I have, which are not of this fold, the Jewish fold, them also I must bring, and they will hear my voice, and there will be one flock and one shepherd. He's already telling them that, that the Jews and Gentiles are going to be one flock within the church. It all comes together a bit later, but we see Jesus saying that already. Paul wrote to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 4, that God desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. The prophet Ezekiel in chapter 18, verse 23, God saying through the prophet, Do I have any pleasure at all that the wicked should die, says the Lord God, and not that he should turn from his ways and live? Now the context there is specifically for Jewish people who turned away from God. But that's the case for any person, that the wicked should die. And apart from us, all of us are wicked, aren't we? Jeremiah 17.9, I quote this to you guys once in a while. I guess I, I just don't want anybody feeling too good about themselves in terms of our own righteousness. Right? Because we, we don't have any, really. Paul the Apostle came to terms with that. He writes about it in Philippians chapter 3. 17.9, the heart is deceitful above all things and is desperately wicked. Who can know it? any person who reads that passage, that, that verse, and says, my heart's not wicked, well, your heart's deceitful above all things, and you're deceiving yourself. I think it's ingenious the way that the Lord write, uh, uh, calls Jeremiah to speak this and, and, and to write it. You know, the heart is, is desperately wicked and deceitful above all things. My heart is so deceitful that I convince myself that my heart isn't wicked like God says it is. You know, that, that, that's what we do. That's what we do. Paul said, writing to the Romans in Romans 7, verse 18, For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, nothing good dwells. Nothing good dwells. For to will is present with me, but how to perform what is good, I do not find. He then goes into the 8th chapter and talks about the power of God's Spirit to enable him to do those things that he wants to do. Two years ago, on one of our trips to Spain, um, um, Pastor Yvonne took us into the into the home of some of the people in the in the, in the church, and in one of those homes, um, they there was um, a, a young a girl who was a high school student, and uh, uh, as we were being asked to go into these homes, these the, the people in the homes were asked to invite people to come, and just to basically say, you know, we have some people from America here, you know, if you'd like to meet some Americans and just talk to them, ask them some questions about what life is like in America or whatever, you know, come on, you know, be with us, you know, and it's like, um, so, so we, a group, we, we split up and we went to several, several people's homes, I think there were like two or three, maybe four of us in a particular home or something, but um, it was very cool, I mean, it was, it, it was very much like Cornelius being told, invite your family friends, Peter's coming. Right? And they're very much like that. And, and one of the kids has shared with us that a, a friend had asked, uh, this was a young, a young man actually, had asked him to teach a Bible study in her own house. And this is who was a, a friend who was a girl. Um, both, both of them asking friends to come and kids were beginning to get right with God based on the Bible study that had taken place in that home. You know, so, so those things happen, guys. And, and, and be open to this. Be open to this in your own home. Be open to this in, in, in your home. Be open it up to, to your neighbors. Um, and, and just open up the Bible and begin to teach them. You, you, you can do that. You know, and you're, you're going through the scriptures on a regular basis on your own here on Sundays and, and, and or Wednesdays. You know, just going through the scriptures. You're learning God's word as you can. And you don't have to know everything. And if you ask a question about something you don't know, just say, well, I don't know. But I'll find out. You know, and, and 
Look up some resources. Come and speak to me or, or, or somebody else in the fellowship you know that knows the word better than you do. You know, I mean, these things can happen. But this is how the word of God gets into people's hearts. You know, um, have the courage to speak to people God's truth. That's really what we see through the book of Acts. The apostles with the courage to speak God's truth truth, they had problems because of it. And every one of the apostles, except for John, would lose his life because of it. Not an easy thing to do. The bottom line is this. If I'm concerned for family and friends and I don't share the gospel with them, what's up with that? Am I really content to say nothing because I don't want to make waves but to say nothing and allow that person a friend or family member to die without Christ and you know what that means an eternity apart from him eternity apart from him do we love them chapter 19, verses 41 to 44. We see Jesus. We see his heart for the people in Jerusalem exposed here. Now as he drew near, he saw the city, Jerusalem, and wept over it. Remember, in this city is the headquarters of the Sanhedrin, that body of Jewish leaders that attempted to kill him numerous times, and they would see to it that he was shot. They would see to it that he was executed. But he heard weeping outside the city. And he said, if you had known, even you especially in this your day, the things that make for your peace. But now, here's what he put in their eyes. For days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment around you, surround you, and close you in on every side, and level you and your children within you to the ground, and they will not leave in, in you one stone upon another because you did not know the time of your visitation. The Romans would come in 70 AD and do this very thing to Jerusalem. Matthew gives this account in chapter 23, verses 37 to 39. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, Jesus says, the one who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her. How often I wanted to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you were not willing. See, your house will be desolate. As they do, you shall see me no more. So you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Do we care about Christ? Do we weep? When's the last time we wept over a family member who does not yet know Jesus? What was that mean? Something for all of us to think about. Do we really believe what Jesus said? I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Is it true that sometimes we might believe that for ourselves, maybe for other people that doesn't apply? Or are we just afraid of confrontation? Afraid of whatever? Something for us to be thinking and praying about. Well, as we go on, we see Peter in verse 26. After Cornelius in verse 25 um, met Peter, fell down at his feet and worshipped him, Peter lifted him up, stood him up, saying, I myself am also a man. I'm just like you. Nothing different. You know, something for us that, that is very important for us, obviously, to remember. But, but just remember, I mean, just imagine this, though. Cornelius is a Roman centurion. He is a command of a hundred Roman soldiers. And looked upon by the Romans themselves as someone of some stature. He's got this position. And he bowed. I mean, the humility in Cornelius is amazing here, isn't it? He bows before Peter. 
understanding that Peter is important enough that God told him to go get him and bring him to Jacob with the cliff. But Peter would have none, none of it. I'm just a man like you, man. Get up. Get up. But something that's interesting is that Jesus did receive worship. Peter wouldn't later on in Acts 14, Paul and Barnabas won't receive it. But we see that Jesus did. Matthew 8, 2 and 3, look, look at this. Behold, the lepers came to Jesus and worshipped him, saying, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. Then Jesus put out his hand and touched him, saying, I'm willing to be cleansed. Immediately his leprosy was cleansed. We have the picture of this leper coming and kneeling before him and bowing before him. You can clean me if you want to. And Jesus doesn't stand him up. No, I'm just a man. He allows him to be in that position of worship, lays his hand upon him, and heals him. What a picture that is. When we bow before Jesus and worship him, he cleanses us. Wholeness comes to us. That's an amazing thing. That's an amazing thing that, that God does. Well, see, we see that tendency among men to deify others. You know, uh, whether it's the Roman Caesars, they wanted that. Um, King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon, he wanted that. It's something that's very natural. But, you know, we do it in our own culture, too, though, don't we? Singers, actors and actresses, athletes, um, people of importance, you know, um, we, 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 we deify them. We even, we even do it within the church with, with what, we, what might be called celebrity pastors or celebrity worship leaders, right? Is Pastor so-and-so going to be there? Kind of a thing. I heard that recently. In terms of a, a, a church that's opening up somewhere and, and, and out of another large church, pastor being very well known, but they said, that's, is pastor so-and-so going to be there? I believe I'll come. You know? God help us. God help us. God doesn't want that from us. Continuing on, verse 27, many came together. Cornelius had, had, had brought his relatives and close friends. Many had come to hear the word of God. Cornelius shares with, with Peter what was going on. Uh, and uh, beginning in verse 30, we already shared verse 20, 28 about what the, the message that Peter had received. He understood it. And Cornelius, beginning in verse 30, shares with, with Peter why his own encounter with this, with this uh, angel and why he had sent for him. And we, and we look to, the, to verse 32. We look to verse 32. And we see that Cornelius tells him exactly what to do, exactly where to send his men and so forth. And then the angel tells him when he comes, he will speak to you. That's what Cornelius tells Peter. Well, back in chapter 10, verse 6, we see the angel is quoted by in, in saying, he will tell you what you must do. So, similar to what we see there, but further on in the next chapter, in verse 11, chapter, excuse me, chapter 11, verse 14, when Peter is rehearsing all this to the Jewish leaders, I mean, excuse me, to, uh, to the apostles and the brethren, he says that this, that Peter will tell you words by which you and all your households will be saved. So apparently, this is what the angel says to Cornelius. It's not quoted in chapter 10 at any point. Cornelius is not mentioned there that Cornelius said that in verse 32. But obviously he said that to Peter that this is what the angel declared. That's why he brought him. That his household, that he and all his household might be saved. And then from verse 33 we see, so I sent to you immediately, Cornelius being responsive and obedient to what the angel told him. And you've done well. Thank you for coming. You've done well to come. Now, therefore, 
We are all present before God to hear all the things commanded you by God. To hear all the things commanded you by God. We were there to hear what the Apostle Peter had to say, which is the gospel message of Jesus Christ. To hear all these things. Romans 10, verses 14 to 17 say this. How then shall they call on him in whom they've not believed? Got to believe before we call on him. How shall they believe in whom, of, in him of whom they've not heard? We can't believe until we first hear. And how shall they hear without a preacher? Somebody needs to give the gospel to them. And how shall they preach unless they are sent? You see here in Acts 10, God sent Peter. God sends us to you. As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring glad tidings of good things from Isaiah. But they have not all obeyed the gospel, for Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our report? And so Paul concludes, so then, faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. We can't bring people to Christ merely by our lifestyle. That's the starting point. That's the starting point. But there are people around our friends and family who perhaps are followers of a different so-called God, a different belief system, and that belief system has its code of ethics, its creed, and, and behavioral things that they bring forth, and, and they're very... Um, they, they, they religiously follow those things. So, for example, a Mormon, just from the outside, uh, a person uh, looking a Mormon can look very much like a Christian. And, and a Mormon will call himself or herself a Christian. But they don't believe in the God of the Bible. They don't believe in Jesus as he's portrayed in the scriptures. They make him to be somebody different. Paul writes to the Galatians, if someone gives to you something different than what you've heard, let that person be accursed. Joseph Smith and all of them. How are people going to know? Just not by watching you. Now that's the first step. We better be living that kind of lifestyle if we're going to bring the gospel to them because a lifestyle confirms the truth of what we're speaking. And as I said before, you know, that person, when, when you share the truth with them and and, and, and they see you living the gospel of Christ, they know that you believe what you're saying that you believe because they're watching you live it. Right? That gives credence to it. If you say you love Jesus, you act like you don't. They see the hypocrisy, you know nothing different about Jesus than any other, any other person, any other so-called God, any other so-called religious leader, whatever. Right? Because you see, faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. Nothing else, nothing else will bring your friends and family to faith in Jesus Christ. And Father, I pray that you'll be with us today. For as we hear these words, the reality of who your son is, the reality of what he has done for us, what your word has to say about his person and his deeds, his work, and the reality of the truth of your word. In so many different areas, as your word covers so many different areas, God, might we be faithful to live the truth, to speak the truth, and allow you to do your work. And Lord, give us the strength based on our love first for you and our love for family and friends. Give us the strength to share truth with them. Even at the risk of damaging the relationship 